Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Zach Efron, and you're listening to The Stupid Cancer Show. I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> Somebody's got a case of the Mundus. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 16-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhardt, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your host for the Stupid Cancer Show. It is not okay. Not okay. 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year, so got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world. One chemo infusion at a time. All right, tonight's show, we are back with a big, bad show after a big, long hiatus. And we've got a great one tonight, folks. The C4YW Breast Cancer Conference for Young Women Affected by Breast Cancer. We've got Stacey Lewis. She's the Chief Programming Officer and Deputy Chief Executive of the Young Survival Coalition. They are one part of the team putting together C4YW. We've got Gene Sachs. CEO of Living Beyond Breast Cancer. They are another part of the team putting together the C4YW conference and kicking it off in the spotlight. Cambry Thomas, she's an adult, a young adult survivor of acute myeloid leukemia. Matthew. The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of the I'm Too Young for This Cancer Foundation online at stupidcancer.org. We are not your father's cancer society, and we're bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs. So, welcome aboard. Another fun, filled, and exciting romp to the hay on tonight's Stupid Cancer Show, where remission ain't a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. And finally, folks, as a reminder, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat room. During each and every show, we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And look at that. We're back. We're back. We are back on the air. It's been a long time, Matthew. like to send some props out to our in-studio hooplas, Mr. What? Kenny Kane. Hello. Dr. Reverend James Manning. What's up? Welcome back. Thanks. I hardly recognize you all. Kenny's got a long beard. I do. It's I'm growing, growing out to OMG. And James is Jewish now. Yes. Don't, just don't tell I his am? mother. Don't tell his mother. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wait, let me check something. Like, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hey now. Um, actually, actually, it seems just like yesterday with that. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. Face palm. Yeah. Matthew. Yes. Lots happened since we've sat across from each other here. Yeah, the Giants won. Well, first there was Christmas. <laughs> then there was Forget Hanukkah. Christmas. Who cares then there was about New that? Year's. I'm going to Giants. 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 Wait a rim. minute. You don't know anything about any sport. Matt? No, no, that is not true. I actually know everything about every sport, but I choose to be ignorant because they bore me. Matt the knows. only thing that doesn't is the Super Bowl. It you, was awesome. you know shit about shit. If you ask me any football rule, I know them. I know every rule. I, I really do. Is that right? Totally. I know everything. How many How many men on the field on one team? Uh, that I don't know. <laughs> they they broke that rule like twice last night. Did you know what a safety was before Tom Brady? Yes, they got two points. I know what that means. He thought it was what he had to say after he farted. <laughs> safety? Mm-hmm. What? When, what? Fail. All right. No, you're just a go, go Instagram that Pinterest. I will. Well, Penny. tumbling. He, yeah. Yes. Kenny's working 16 different social media. <laughs> not, not, we, we don't understand most of them. All right, so Christmas, Hanukkah, New, New Year's. Year's. Uh, no snow, Al Gore winter. Right, because we had the snow on Halloween. Right, right, yeah. right. Made up for it. Um, actually, I like it because like we had thirty thousand feet of snow last year. Right. And we have negative thirty thousand feet of snow this year. It's so. great. Remember I like the, I like this one much better. Yes. Sixty degrees in February. Gorgeous. Remember the storm in Brooklyn? You yeah. When we lived in the yeah, that was terrible. Yes. In the in the, in the colony. <laughs> <laughs> it was the colony. It really was. So and then, um, um, God, well, I went the, to Mexico. You were away on your I honeymoon. Went, you got married. I did get married. That gets a prop. Thank you. Lisa got married. I got officially New York State Actually, style theory, that wed. Because <laughs> you're half Jewish. They did, yeah. Well, you know, when we had a ceremony, I did break a glass, but I didn't get held up on a chair. Oh, okay. Um, we'll have to take care of that. And then we had a trip uh, with some friends, a fabulous trip to Mexico, Punta Mita. Near, oh. near Puerto Vallarta on the Pacific Ocean. You almost Ocean. sound Spanish saying that. Almost. Almost. Not really, but so that was nice. And uh, oh, the Republican debates. Oh, there has been like seventeen thousand Republican debates. Yes. And Each one more entertaining than the I, next. I like to right. put Santorum on my Romney. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear God, we're going there, aren't we? Yep. And he's drinking. Uh oh. And then. Uh, we had a slow news week last week. Oh, did we not it was have a slow, slow news week. week? Oh, did we not? Just more cats on YouTube. That's, <laughs> that's all it really was. A flock was... of seagulls and what was it, the, the Austin Powers line? A gas shortage and a flock of seagulls. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Well, um, there was right. a little there was a little a little kerfuffle last week. Uh, there was a pink incident. <laughs> A common kerfuffle. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> I would say that uh, that if there is, if there was anyone in the country that did not know who Komen was, they certainly now know who Susan G. Komen for the Cure is. For the fail. You, you put in you you put in for the Cure like a good boy. Well, that's their legal name. You didn't leave it out. They're going to sue me now. Well, they won't sue you because you said for the Cure. That's no, the point. No, but that. No, no, they'll sue you because you said for the Cure. No, but you used it in your name. They only sue you if we were going to say. We are stupid cancer for the cure. Shh. Quiet. We can't say we're stupid cancer for the cure. Shh. They have Now they're right going to sue us. Yes. Now I've made them sue us. Fantastic. All right. So. They have pink cufflinks? Uh, pink handcuffs, sorry. Fuzzy pink handcuffs. Fuzzy pink cufflinks? <laughs> handcuffs for the foreplay. Yeah. What? <laughs> All right. So where do Penny's we begin? Penny's still single. 
Somebody shade Kenny, please. Yeah. Anyway, so there was a... uh... In December, the Komen Brass made a decision that they were no longer going to fund organizations that were currently under any investigation by Congress. Now, that's a very fair policy to make because clearly you don't want to identify yourself. We should backtrack. So the investigation by Congress specifically means whether or not Congress should give them federal... The word investigation made it sound like... The knee jerk was, if well, you didn't was, know, made it sound like they were investigated for fraud or something. Well, yeah, like it was, they didn't use the adjective criminal, like any right. investigation. Like, hey, like, what's your logo like? And, and the threshold for investigation in Congress is, is very small. Right. Very but, small. But the, the, um, the, the, the issue that came up with that, regardless of who fell into that investigatory uh, category, was that the investigation was brought on by a senator. So the argument can be made, again, this has nothing to do with Planned Parenthood yet, but the argument was made that even before the, 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 the news came out, that if any one senator disagrees with any one particular nonprofit organization, they could place them under investigation, rendering them ineligible for a grant from Komen. So that's a big issue, because just anyone who has a political interest or disinterest in a specific cause can do this to sabotage the brand. So... That is the that, that's what came out of the conversation in December. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. And then the local chapters of Komen were seeded a uh, internal memo that basically said that beginning in 2014, uh, that Planned Parenthood would no longer be able to uh, qualify for grants because they are now categorized under this investigation milieu, um, which brought about uh, obviously a shitstorm. But the most significant. I like how you use milieu and shitstorm in the same sentence. I'm a very, you went highbrow to lowbrow. I'm a very classy individual. That was F- awesome. F and a gog. The immediate response that made the most sense to me was well, if it's Planned Parenthood isn't the only organization you fund that's under investigation, why haven't you unfunded these other six organizations which are under criminal investigation, not just regular investigation? Now that's enough. Like that's enough to sell me on this was a dumb mistake. But I will take let Lisa take over with the ensuing shitstorm logistics. Where did you leave off? Um, no, I'm, shitstorm I'm, I'm logistics. Te- I'm teasing you. So Planned Parenthood. I'll take it from Planned Parenthood here. So they went public with an email campaign saying we're not getting this money anymore from Komen, and won't you donate to us? And they, ba- they they basically it was it was a it was a pretty brilliant lesson in PR when all was said and done in communications in getting out in front of the message. Planned Parenthood then decided to take control, take matters into their hand. They hands they got out there, and they made it public. And AP broke the story. It went all over the place as Coma did something political. Pol- politics aren't shouldn't be involved in people's health care, and. The ensuing social media, which Kenny is such a great part of, uh, there was an incredible whiplash and turnaround. And uh, Komen took 24 hours at least to react, which in this day and age on the interwebs right. is too slow. Yes. So, uh, and then they came out in stages with Nancy Brinker, the founder, first making a taped video response. Right. And then they finally put something up on their Facebook page. And she went on MSNBC. She went on MSNBC. But prior to that, um, Cecile Richards, who's the head of Planned Parenthood, she'd already been out and about and yes. made several appearances by that point. They were at the speed of social media. They were. They went out with it, and that was exactly it. And so what's interesting, though, is that it appeared that Komen, 
you know, had done this quietly before the holidays. Um, Perhaps not expecting it to leak? Well, I don't know. If you do something quietly, you are probably <laughs> thinking right. that there's a reason why you're doing something quietly. Yeah, exactly. Like the White House releasing something on a Friday. And so right. you would think that you might have some discussion as to if and when this does become public. Right, like a how kind do we, of communication how do we strategy. present this? Right. How do we move forward? How do we, if this is our they decision... They just seem so taken aback and, by... And not to even, right. you know, if, if this is our decision, if we're going to say this is how we're going to proceed, once this becomes public, how do we, do we then want to present this to the public and make our case to the public? That right. did not seem to be in place, which is surprising. Well, that's what Ari Fleischer was supposed to be working on, was he not? For, for, for Komen. Yeah. Yeah. That was what he was hired for. He was hired to be their spin doctor, yeah, and he didn't do a good job. Or it, apparently it didn't quite meet the effect it was supposed to. I, I've heard the most brilliant um, uh, phrase that I've heard that totally encapsulates um, what happened, the episodic anthropology, if I can use the hybrid term, uh, from last week, is pink spring. Like the Arab spring from social media, yeah. pink spring. Even though it's winter... They're calling it the Pink Spring, because never before in the history of this country has social media changed the landscape of major decisions than in 2012 between SOPA, which is the Internet Privacy Takeover of Corporate America, uh, which was shot down, which is in everyone's favor. It's a great thing. But social media destroyed that bill. Mm -hmm. right. Social media totally did the same wave. The mob effect. The mob effect of social media had had taken over... You know, in defense of Planned Parenthood, whether you are pro or con abortion, the issue of women's health was the one that was at stake, and the hypocrisy of the laws that Cohen was saying that they had to abide by based on these new policies it was just staggering. The response from the community, Cohen, one of their posts that you said on their wall had like twelve thousand comments. Unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. response. And by the way, just to go back to James's comment, Ari Fleischer, I think, was only hired. After everything broke and went nuts, I'm talking about if you're doing something quietly before the holidays, that's the point in which you're having the discussion about how do we then prepare for this. It's not to be reactive, but to take the message into your own hands. Right. Um, and you know who was one of the biggest beneficiaries of this whole Komen brouhaha? Planned Parenthood. Of the course. Sierra Club. What? Wow. What? <laughs> Because the Sierra Club had their own controversy where they took $26 million from a, national, uh, a natural gas company, um, and that broke at the same time, but it was so dwarfed by Komen. And what they did also was they got out in front of it, and they contacted a writer from Time magazine, and they took the message into their hands, and they took, got the, out in front of the story, and they did a piece and just said, oops, here's what we did, let us explain this. But they came forward rather than being reactive. That's kind of ironic that the Sierra Club would take money from a gas company. Mm -hmm. If you need money, you need money. Well, I mean, it brings up the default in nonprofit management in this country. But well, I, anyway, I'm I, just yeah. yeah. So that so so clearly, but, it just seemed that Komen. But I think that I think that it, it's interesting. I think organizations like the Sierra Club are used to 
potentially being polarizing organizations, whereas nobody thinks of Komen. I mean, among the cancer community, there have been these gaps, like the Kentucky Fried Chicken thing that happened with putting pink. But that's but not you a don't... nationally public thing. It's right. like only people like us are pissed at that. Right. And, and you think about Komen generally, you know, as being an organization that does good. It right. funds research for breast cancer. Sierra Club, you have people that are on both sides of the issue with something like the Sierra Club, so they might have more of a built-in mechanism, be more prepared to handle negative PR. Right. Whereas at Komen, they perhaps don't have that in place. But again, I think if you're doing something quietly, probably the gut check there is you, you know that there are people who might be against this if your instinct is to do something quietly. I wish we had something to do quietly. Millions to take from someone. What? We... We're, are you high? No. Okay. No, I'm just... Uh, what are you talking about? Satirically speaking. No, I'm saying I wish somebody was like, here, take all those million dollars. You know. i I got to give it to Planned Parenthood, though. They raised over $3 million well, last they, week. Well, they, they were very deft at how they handled the situation. And they got they t- totally took control of the story. And um, and it completely completely benefited them. So... Anyway, and now on top, then of course, come in reversed, yes, and they, they will are, be funding but Planned Parenthood. It's the damage is done. Uh, it's going to take a long well, time. Well, it really is interesting because the fallout from all of this. Now, I saw Matthew. You pasted on our Facebook wall. Tell the folks what you pasted today because that was interesting. I wanted to learn from our community. I'm always fascinated by how the young adult community thinks about advocacy. Uh, uh, is, is passionate towards any one particular brand, how they feel in terms of ethics and stigma and reality. We, we think differently as a generation than our parents do. We have different trust issues, different privacy issues. So I put a question out there on, onto, onto our wall. It's like 90 comments so far. It's really a fascinating response. I have no opinion either way. I just wanted to hear what our community has said. Tell everybody the question. The question was that, how would you feel about us if we were to receive a major grant from Komen so we could grow big and strong and keep programs like these and the summit uh, around? You know, we're a nonprofit. We depend on funding. We're a small nonprofit. We have two employees. Uh, we have a $400,000 budget, and we produce uh, some really great programs and services, but we are dependent on funding. And if that funding were to come from Komen, uh, and where you knew that that money coming from them was going exactly to here, here, and here within our organization, would that sort of sully your view of us as sort of selling out to the man? And the responses, Kenny, you've been like reading the responses more than I have. What's what's going on there? Uh, I, I think it's it's kind of like for take it to every to one no. Right. Whereas people be like, you know, I'd stop supporting you guys. I, I would, you know, look elsewhere for volunteer opportunities. So four people say we would we should take the money yeah. to every one person who says don't Correct. take it. For what I've read, I mean, the nice thing is people have said you guys do great work. We would be heartened to know that their money would be going towards a good organization that you that has good programs. Right. Which was wonderful that people were supportive this, in that. This regard. one is this one is pretty good. As long as you don't become stupid breast cancer and devote your time and energy to one cancer. Right. Which is something I would agree with. Right. Well, that's all. We are a disease agnostic organization. Mm-hmm. We will always be disease agnostic. So the whole point of this is, you know, uh, and, and the, the, contra, the, the counterpoints are to, to that argument is, you know, you are selling out. You would be using tainted blood money from Kentucky Fried Chicken fried, you know, crap 
you know, uh, we, you shouldn't be needing or wanting that money. Would, I would never support you again. Like the extremes on the other side. Anyway, totally fascinating. Um, I want to get to Cambry because clearly we've been talking about this, but you're going to be involved in the conversation whether you like it or not. So let's get to her and let's kick it off with this. I've got an intro here, Matthew. Go for it. All right. Cambry Thomas, she's a Detroit native. She's a freelance journalist living and working right here in New York City, among other health concerns. Ooh, and we'll get into those. She was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia in 1998 when she reached her 10-year mark. Yahoo! She started blogging about late effects and, and through that was asked to contribute to the Planet Cancer book. Our friends over at Planet Cancer. Yes. All right. Welcome to the show, Cambry Thomas. Woo! Detroit Hi. native. We're going to talk some Detroit music as well. I like the sound of that. All right. So first of all, among other health concerns, so did you have health issues prior to being diagnosed with AML in 98? Yes, before and after. It, it was a weird couple of years. Um, so in 1997, I, um, you know, was a normal Girl Scout, fourth grader. And then that summer, like summer between fourth and fifth grade. She was a fourth I, grader in 1997. Noted. Matt was uh, a Girl Scout. Noted. Um, yeah. So yeah, that that summer, getting ready for for fifth grade, I know it was a long time ago, but um, I had this, um, I don't know, the doctors couldn't figure out what it was, but all of my systems tried to shut down. They think it, it could have been toxic shock syndrome or, or could have been Lyme disease. No one, it was just um, this mysterious kind of onset of, of very sudden extreme symptoms. When you were 10? When I was nine going on ten. Wow. And um, I was in ICU for like two weeks. Um, it was a very strange time, and it's especially we're talking about it now because I feel fine. I have a little cold right now, but that's it. But at the time, like, I couldn't see the TV. I couldn't breathe. I had to have, like, those, those tubes. And I was just in a room with um, all kinds of machines that were just beeping and, and flashing lights kind of 24-7. So you were in there for two weeks? Yeah. And what was the final diagnosis? Well, there was no final diagnosis. I mean, officially, like, the papers say toxic shock syndrome, but huh. um, there was never really a, a reason for a healthy nine-year-old to suddenly um, Now, toxic so- shock syndrome, most people associate with using a tampon. At that age, and I was you, not I was going to say, you probably weren't menstruating yet. No, no. So, Interesting. So, yeah, it was just sudden, and I think that's what confused my doctors, because I went from being completely healthy to just, um, you know, in ICU on an oxygen machine. And then the following year, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And then um, after that, a few years after that, I actually got um, bacterial meningitis. Congratulations. So, yeah, that was, that was no fun. You're a superstar. Thank you. <laughs> He's coming up on me. I have nine major chronic diseases, so keep going. So, and now what about, have they, and have they ever talked about connection between one, two, or all three of these things? No, there was a, there was a point, okay, third, third time when I was in the hospital for the bacterial meningitis, I had a doctor come to me and, and say, you know, maybe, maybe there's something wrong with your immunity, like maybe there, there's something, something there, but then... Again, I, I got better, and I haven't been that sick again ever. Well, that's good. So what's um? I have a, why did it take you ten years? The well, reason I asked that is because it took me ten years. 
Okay. Yeah, ten's a good number. Yeah. Well, I felt, okay, so when I was done with my treatment, I was 11, and I felt this big rush to kind of be okay and to step out of, you know, the cancer lifestyle and, and be just healthy and normal again. And so what I did was I wanted to not bring up subjects that made people uncomfortable. I wanted to not um, alienate people, so I stopped talking about having had cancer. I kind of felt like people didn't understand, so I'm like, well, why would I, why would I talk about it? And um, just for years, I, I didn't mention it, because when it would come up, you know, I was still pretty young, so it's not like I would get a warm response. I was talking to kids, so they would say things like, well, is cancer contagious, or are you sick, or are you going to die? So I didn't want to deal with that either. You didn't want to hear that, yeah. No, so I just, I stopped talking about it, and then it got to a point in college where there was this, 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 this um, where I just kind of had to deal with what happened because it's not like you have cancer and then everything associated with it goes away. Because you probably had it bottled up in you for all those years. You didn't have an outlet. I mean, it sounds like you were concerned about what other people thought. You didn't want to bother them. Absolutely. They were uncomfortable about it, so you didn't want to talk about it for that reason, not because you didn't want to express what was going on inside of you. Right. So 10 years later, you got to let it out. Yeah, it, it seemed like... It, it was just time, and I was dealing with some things at school that were related to late effects. I was seeing some ridiculous things on TV as, that were relating to cancer, like what Matthew was saying earlier about someone, you know, faking having had cancer. And so I'm like, you know, what better time than now to finally get this off my chest and finally explore what it's like to be 10 years in remission and to still be kind of dealing with, with having had this. So tell us about the Planet Cancer book. Now, Planet Cancer is an organization, a sister organization that then got absorbed by Live Strong. They put out a book recently. Tell us about the book and your contribution to it. Okay, so yeah, I was um, still in my 10-year my anniversary, and my website was, is, well, it's not, it's, I can put it back up, but it's, I took it down for a little bit. I named it um, 1-800-CANCER-ME. The tagline was bad blood cells, <laughs> and um, I just blogged on it. Every day about something different, I talked about, you know, different experiences I had with camp and when I was diagnosed and what treatment was like and what things are like now and what things I still deal with and doctor's appointments. And through that, that's how I discovered I2I and, you know, Live Strong and Planet Cancer. And then um, Planet Cancer had this social network, and so I signed up for it. And then I, through an RSS feed, linked my blog to my um, Planet Cancer page. And then someone from the organization found it, sent me an email and said, you know, we're coming out with a book and we like your writing. How would you like to, you know, help us? And, I mean, as a journalism major, I was, like, on top of the world. I'm like, of course I want to help you guys. So let, let me know whatever you need. And so, yeah, it was, it was senior year in college. I would do my work and then, you know, do this research. Like, I, I wrote a chapter on chemotherapy drugs and, you know, how, they, how they'll make you feel. So I was doing this, this research on chemotherapy drugs, and then I was also watching television shows, like, marking, like, whenever a major character was diagnosed with cancer and how it was portrayed. Right. And, and so it was fun. It was, it was great to be able to, to connect in that kind of way. So you're now, do you now have a full-time gig at Essence Magazine? I do, yes. Girl after my own heart. Congratulations. In the magazine Thank world. You. Copy editor. She's yes. the new Carrie Bradshaw. 
So the thing is, she's a copy editor. She's got to pour over and look at commas and semicolons, and you must, you've got to know, you've got to be airtight with grammar, right? You know, I try, I try. <laughs> the good thing though is, I um, I even though I'm a copy editor, it's a pretty flexible position in that I'm not copy editing for the magazine itself. I work on their tablet edition, so iPad, Droid, Kindle. Oh, see, that can be riddled with all kinds of grammar mistakes, right? Oh, yeah, it's just, just, just the tablet. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Lisa's turning 99 this year. <laughs> so, yeah, the tablet, tablet the tablet, and because the website. The, the tablet you can fix. If it's on a page, if it's printed, once it's out, you can't fix that. Right. Anything that's digital, you can fix that in you, two you get, seconds. You get a yeah. comment about it and then yeah. just fix it. Sure. So that's what I mean. It's more flexible. It's like you can spot something and, like you said, make the changes then and there. So I'm work, right. working on the tablets and the websites. That's great. Awesome. So you're in the you're in you're over at Time Inc. Yes. In the magazine culture there. Yes. So that's it. So what's um so in terms of late effects or anything now? How is your health now? Well, aside yeah, from yeah, because you look this, terrible. <laughs> aside <laughs> from this little cold I have going on right now, my health is is in is in good shape. I mean, I I do a lot of things that I think would foster good health. Like I I take my vitamins, take my supplements, I work out, drink lots of water, clearly. And, um, you know, just try to keep myself balanced so I'm not stressed out about anything. And, you know, if I do feel sick, I I do try to take it easy so that I can recuperate and, you know, give myself that time. We lead opposite lifestyles. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what was the other half of that? Candy's question? on a quest to push his liver to the maximum. Right. I mean, I still have fun, but you better have fun. Go. So good. So no late effects at this point. You're you're oh, doing things. Oh, that's you're taking, what you. Yeah. Okay. Got it. You know, when I was um, let's see the, I, I don't. I was a pretty good student after before I got sick, but then for some reason after I just had trouble focusing in class. Um, and things just weren't weren't easy for me. Sure. Like I, I wasn't a good student anymore after that. And it's not like you know I'm so mad I had cancer that I'm gonna act out. It was just like, you know, I was fuzzed from the drugs. Yeah, I was totally like yeah. spaced out. I couldn't remember things. I would leave my homework at home. Yeah. Um, we should register drugfuzz.org dot org or something. Yeah. It was just really bad because I didn't know what was going on. It would be like, you know, my mom would come to me to school and say, "Can't believe why why is your homework still in your locker?" And it's like. I guess I forgot it, and it's not like you can go to your teacher and say, hey, I actually did this assignment, but I forgot to turn it in. Um, so school got really Cancer ate my homework. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally what happened, and yeah. so that was that was um, what school was like for me for the like, two years after treatment. Lisa with the win. <laughs> nice. Thanks, man. Well... well we got to wrap it. Um, well, she's staying around. She, she can uh, chime in anytime you I know. want. She can chime in. Yes. James can, about but our, she can. Uh, we're talking about a little chat here. Cambry, it was great to have you in studio. Thank you. To great hear your story. with you guys. Thank too. you for stopping by. That's the uh, congratulations on being live applause. All right, let's breeze through the news and get to our guest. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. It's so dramatic. Here we go. During this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announce to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all just for young adults with cancer, and they're all free. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking, and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar curls, concerts, suite ups, support groups, 
and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to spread the word about during this part of the show, send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That's info at stupidcancer.com. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all your social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. What's coming up, KK? Actually, pretty late until uh, OMG. We have Thursday, February 16th. We have a Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in Baltimore, and out in L.A. we have the We Spark Young Adult Group Meetup. And that is it. We'll take it. Everyone's building up to Vegas. There will be some events coming up right before Vegas, though, so uh, nice. keep an eye out. All right, the Stupid Cancer Forums have over 2,500 members. It's growing exponentially. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you with any cancer, including, I guess, any cancer. Visit stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. All right, we're running out of slots now for Team Stupid Cancer. How many left, you guys? Uh, Seven or eight? Yeah, less than ten. Less than ten. Got feet. With our crew, you don't need feet. Guaranteed entry. Well, for less than ten. Come on, we got to fill them. Low fundraising minimums. Help young adults fight stupid cancer. Visit TeamStupidCancer.com for information to register. And finally, the 5th Annual OMG Cancer Summit for Young Adults is just seven weeks away. And we have but a few remaining slots left for attendees. It's time to go online to OMG2012.org and get registered. For the hippest events in all of Cancerland, says us. Join 500 of your fellow young adult survivors at the Palms Casino Resort in Las Vegas and check out the OMG Players Club, an exciting new fundraising challenge where you can earn up to 600 bucks in travel reimbursement and even a brand new iPad. And that is your Stupid Cancer News. Let's bring in our guests. They are getting rickrolled. Uh-oh. Stacy Lewis? She deserves, she deserves a little bit better than being there. No, they're getting all. rickrolled. They have. I'm, I got the switch. When you announce they're getting Rick Roll, that kind of loses its effect. I suppose so. I'm so sorry to both of you. Matthew's adamant that you're going to get Rick Rolled. All right. Stacey Lewis, you know her, you love her, Chief Programming Officer and Deputy Chief Executive for the Young Survival Coalition. Stacey's been with the YSC for six big bad years and has played a critical role there, leading program creation and service implementation for the organization. She provides her expertise and her myriad talents in creating and developing programs that will meet the needs of young women facing breast cancer at all stages of their cancer journeys. She's been instrumental in creating the YSC's cornerstone programs, Resource Link, Survivor Link, and the Factor Series, and, of course, the C4YW Conference for Young Women Affected by Breast Cancer, with which we will discuss. Matthew? Joining Stacey is Gene Sachs. Um... Chief Executive Officer of Living Beyond Breast Cancer in 1996, LBBC, uh, volunteer leadership named Jean as the organization's first Chief Executive Officer, and since then, she's increased LBBC's budget from 100000 to more than $3 million annually. Wow. We have a job for her. All right, allowing her to assemble a staff of dedicated and talented professionals she has dramatically, a good job. <laughs> dramatically yeah. uh, expanded LBBC's cancer programs and services to a national level, including, of course, C4IW. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, the duet, the duo, the team not to be messed with, Gene Sachs and Stacey Lewis. Ladies. Welcome both. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. We're good, right, Stacey? Hey, Gene. You've been having a slow week, I understand. It's 
It's never silence. <laughs> <laughs> Dead silence. We suck the wind right out of yeah. there. <laughs> right out of the gate. Well, let's talk about the conference. Yes. Yeah. C4YW, the as it is now known. Yes. The, young, the Conference for Young Women Affected by Breast Cancer. You know it. You love it. I saw you ladies back way back when, when we made a nice video about the conference a couple of years back. What is, let's just get the headlines. What are the major headlines this year? Jean, let's start with you in terms of what's new, what's different, what's going to be taking place at this year's event. Okay, well, first let me remind everyone the dates, which um, will be um, Friday, February 24th through Sunday, February 26th. And this year we're in New Orleans, which should be a lot of fun, right? right? Um, and this is our 12th annual conference. So we have, you know, I feel like we've really, we've been doing this for a while, so we really have it down to a science. So we'll have all our tried and true regular workshops. So if you're newly diagnosed, if you're a long-term survivor, if you're living with metastatic disease, we'll have a lot of um, opportunities for people to share their stories. And, of course, we'll have a lot of workshops on quality of life issues about, you know, how to, how to, how to keep living and living well. So can folks still register? Are you full, or is there still room for folks to, to come on down? We're never full, right, Stacey? Absolutely not. You can still register, and if you can get to New Orleans, we would be happy to have you. You can register online, and um, if you miss that deadline, uh, which is February 12th, I believe is the early registration deadline, you can certainly register on site. So it's c4yw.org, correct? That's right. correct. All right, we have it in our chat room there. Matthew's chomping at the bit, I can tell, Matthew. No, 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 I'm going to be nice. I, I promise I'd be nice. Well, well there's no We're reason ready. not to be nice. No, no, no. Uh, but, I mean, first of all, I want to extend uh, significant gratitude to you both because I'm speaking at the C4YW conference. <laughs> no, it's a big... Uh, That's why he wants to no, extend no. gratitude. No, I'm, I'm speaking... It, it was two years ago. It was the conference in 2010 that... Um, I forget. Uh, oh, man, I'm so bad with names. I, yeah, non sequitur. I had a neuropsych test, a legitimate clinical neuropsych test, and I am fucked up. Uh, can I just say that clinically? That's, 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 hard, that's hardly a newsflash. No, but no, now let's move on with the interview. Now there's science behind it. No, I, I okay. have bad name recollection. Okay. Anyway. Um, it's Gene Stacy. No, 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 not Gene Stacy. It was Kenny. it was your program director, LBBC. It was Elise. Elise. Thank you, Elise Kaplan. The See, fabulous Elise Kaplan. It's, it's retention. Fabulous. I can't pull the things yeah. out of my brain. All right. We love Elise Kaplan. So now I have science to make up for my excuses. Anyway, yeah. Elise, I approached her in 2010 and said, I would love to speak at your conference, but do you accept testicles? And she <laughs> laughed. And uh, she said, of course, let's talk about it. And that was before I2Y was, like, you know, we were sort of still kind of wet behind the ears in 2010. And I was invited last year to speak at this year's event, and I'm really excited. The uh, program is called Tweet This, and it's all about how to not um, take pictures of yourself drunk at a party on Facebook while you're on the Family Medical Leave Act. <laughs> That's roughly the, the high concept. And we are we are looking forward to that workshop. <laughs> Good luck so, getting them off the stage. Right? No, so, so seriously, thank you very much for the opportunity, and I'm excited that uh, I get a chance to sort of uh, talk to the, 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 I've heard nothing but good things. I've never been. I've only, we've exhibited. And yeah. The power, was, the energy, the excitement, it's off the charts. I was blown away when I was there, but that actually leads me to a question, because I know that, and I'm, I, I don't know if he'll be back again this year. I know there's a, a um, uh, men, uh, what is his name? Dusty Showers? 
No, 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 not Dusty Showers. Um, no, it's the For Men Only Workshop. The men, for Men Only Workshop, and the organization is Men Who... And uh, men Against Men Against Breast Cancer. Right. So I've, I know the year that I was there, he seemed to me to be the sole sort of male prominent speaker, exhibitor. Um, have there been more men incorporated, or is, is Matthew number two? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, so... There, that is the one folk workshop that focuses uh, on men, which are an important part of the support community for the young women diagnosed with breast cancer. We certainly have a number of male speakers, whether they be medical oncologists or other uh, psychosocial professionals. Uh, Matt is, I would put him into a category of his own. I'm sure that the uh-huh. rest of oh, would thanks. be. Um, but we're we're certainly happy to have I2I on site uh, as a fellow participant, as a presenter, and as an exhibitor. So it's going to be a great event, and I'm sure the workshop will be a good one. So one of the things I was also blown away by is there was a woman uh, from Kenya, stage four breast cancer when I was there, a uh, remarkable woman. And, of course, I said to her, how did you – and this was when the conference was in Atlanta – and I said, how the heck did you know about this from Kenya and come all the way over here? She had four children. And, of course, she said the Internet. <laughs> and she had a Yahoo address. But it's really astounding. I mean, are there ways in which you, you've reached a, a global? I mean, I think the year that I was there was 13 different countries. But how does it, how does it do you specifically market? Is it word of mouth? I mean, how is it that you've seen this conference grow and touch places like Kenya? Um, I, I, go ahead, Stacey. I was just going to say that um, I think, you know, the community of young women diagnosed with breast cancer um, is a small community. And so while um, they are a smaller part of the breast cancer community, their issues being unique, I think that the camaraderie amongst them spreads and it crosses geographic boundaries, um, socioeconomic boundaries, and, um, you know, we've really worked hard to make sure that those that have access to the information um, get what they need. Jean, did and you want to add to that? I think the other part that has, you know, added to that is this really robust scholarship program that we've been able to to continue in bringing women who couldn't typically afford to come to a program like this. Um, and that's part of how they hear about this. And we, I have met several women from Africa, from Europe, from Canada who regularly travel to the conference. And what, so what are the, again, what are the issues that are, it, you they run a gamut, though. Like, you can come, like, regardless of what car you drive, they've got a parking spot for you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's something that Stacy and Elise have worked really hard at, which is making this conference have something for everybody. So wherever you are, whatever stage, whatever, however many years out, or if you were diagnosed the day, you know, the day before, that there is something at this conference for everyone. This is Kenny. I uh, I went last year and exhibited. I had a great time sitting at the diagnosed while pregnant table uh, <laughs> during the during the evening event. Oh wow. Yeah. And then I mean that's, you know, that's when you go through something like that, the most important thing is you want to find someone who's been in a similar cir- circumstance. I mean, that's such a traumatic thing to happen at such a, you know, amazing time of your life. So to be able to be in a room with 
another woman or three other women that have experienced that is very powerful. I think what was also I remember as being so powerful, too, is that there are some women, obviously, that come maybe just for one year and they don't go back. Some that are kind of repeat customers and they go, and as Stacey said, it is such a community. And the memory wall that you have, which I'm assuming you still have as some women who've lost their lives um, are remembered there, is um, is quite moving and quite astounding. Um, Jean or Stacey, Jean, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, we started doing that, I don't know, uh, several years ago, and I I find that probably one of the hardest part is that every time you come to this conference, there is someone that isn't there the next year. Um, and and yet we think it's really important for the participants to be able to remember them and write things. And, again, just another very powerful part of the conference. I don't know, Stacey, if you want to add to that. I think the only thing I would add is, you know, to Jean's point about it being a really powerful, you know, a quietly powerful part of the conference is, um, you know, as two organizations that are really dedicated to the missions, um, you know, it really demonstrates to us that we still have a lot of work to do. There are still, unfortunately, you know, thousands of young women dying, and we still have a lot of work to do. And the conference is one of those opportunities to support those that, um, you know, that are currently dealing or living with the history of breast cancer as a young woman as well as gives them the opportunity to acknowledge the many young women that they've lost and that we've all lost. Yeah. What are an example of some of the uh, the, the the workshops and breakouts? What Do you go by, um, like, surveying the year before and, and assuming it's going to carry over? How do you stay fresh and what's new every year for for 2012? There are no assumptions, Matt. <laughs> um, you know, we do uh, certainly an evaluation, a very thorough evaluation at the end of every event and spend many of many hours, you know, both teams, uh, organizational teams and collaborative teams spend many hours pouring over those evaluations to really look at what has been the most impactful, um, where are the gaps, what is most needed, and, you know, to, to work together to determine how we can fill those gaps. We're currently looking at about 27, 28 workshops um, this year. Um, we'll do something a little different in that a couple of those workshops will be repeated. Um, for those of you that have attended, you know that um, we offer so many workshops with great information, great presenters, and it's hard to be everywhere um, within four workshop sessions. So, you know, this year we're really looking at presenting a lot of information as well as look forward to positioning some of this information um, as enduring, whether they be audio files or tr printed transcripts for those that are, haven't been able to attend or weren't able to attend every workshop that they wanted to. So a lot of information will be on site. As long as I don't have to go to belly dancing. You don't have to, but you can, Matt. I'm sure <laughs> they would welcome you with open arms. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Maybe not belly dancing, but I know that, you know, certainly it's a place where a lot of women want to cut loose, and rightly so. And I know the year that I was there, there were a group of women who went out, and like I said, it was Atlanta, and there was a a, a local bar where they had kind of that um, mechanical bull riding. Mm -hmm. And it was it was so great and hilarious that women were just, you know, tossing their, instead of tossing their cowboy hats, tossing their wigs off and really having like a, you know, rollicking good time as they were doing bull riding. And 
um, it was so great. And they came back with these stories of saying, like, you should have seen the locals when we all went bull rising and started throwing off our wigs. Nice. And we had a great time. But um, looking at some of the sessions now, like meditation for everyday coping, there's Matthew's tweet this, lesbian women communicating with partners, breast reconstruction for men only, genetics and family risk, so all kinds of things, fertility and pregnancy, uh, early stage, and so on. So kind of uh, also for the caregiver. Has, at what, in terms of the caregivers, has that been, um, have you seen more or less, or have you sort of opened it up more for caregivers, or is it kind of a pretty, over the years, a pretty steady stream in terms of the numbers? We have we- always welcomed caregivers, and I think for this conference, there there tends to be more that come because often these women don't want to travel alone. They might have young kids. They want to come with a partner, a sister, a friend. Um, so I think it's a, it's an important part of the experience. And what we have found in doing these workshops is these people, the caregivers really need to talk and they really need to connect. And that is something that's not easy to find. So I think it becomes a very important event. Plus they can also divide and conquer as Stacy was saying earlier, you can't be at every workshop at once. So, you know, they'll go through the list and you go to this workshop and take notes and I'll go to that one. So it's really nice to see that. And Stacy, I know that you have you have a um also single women dating after breast cancer. Do you still do the kind of pajama party uh scene that's kind of teaches I mean, there's some very real issues obviously with sexuality and um you give tips. I know the the pajama party star talks about toys and lubricants and things that women can can use in that area. Is that still a part of the program? So we'll have uh, a number of different special events and, and special programs this year. We will not host the pajama party, although um, that collaborator, Pure Romance, will be on site as an exhibitor. So all of that uh, stuff that, that our participants may be, their products that participants may be interested in will certainly be available. Um, but with with the belly dancing and there'll be caregiver massage, um, there's also going to be the Zumba class. So there'll be a number of different uh, special events that we'll be trying this year to really engage um, our participants and to give them opportunities that they may not really take advantage of when they're at home or have access to when they're at home. So, you know, many of those uh, participants that you've experienced, Lisa, will certainly be on site, if not as special programs as exhibitors. You know, one of the things that I found most fascinating in in, uh, sort of analyzing the attendees at our conference was that sort of the elephant in the room for us was that we never really did anything on the environment, which is a huge issue for younger uh, younger Americans and anyone under 40 because we had cancer for different reasons. So I'm I'm really excited that you have Dr. Engel coming because she's actually speaking at our conference too, and uh, I, I get I get to see her like live in action without having to worry about being behind the curtain hoping everything else is working. So ha- have you found that the environmental issue is a is is as big as it is um, perceived to be in this generation? I, I don't know if it's only generational, Matt. I'll have to say I think that. Um, the the issue of breast cancer in the environment has been, um, you know, it's not a new issue in the breast cancer community. And what we really hope to do is provide people with the information that allows them to go back to their healthcare professionals and go back to really assessing both their their at home environment, 
um, as well as the external environment, which, you know, sometimes we have very little control over, but really equipping people with the questions to ask and, and the food for thought is, is our role as um, providers of this event. And I think that it is an ongoing area of interest and something that we've seen over the years in those evaluations that we talked about earlier. Yeah, and we have addressed this issue a number of times over the last couple of years, and I think sometimes, and, and we've been asked for more in-depth information. So it, it's it's a topic we're very committed to continuing to to talk about. So let's talk about um, you guys do this. It's uh, Living Beyond Breast Cancer, and um, and first, Jean, with Living Beyond Breast Cancer, you unlike the YSC, you have a range of age of of women that come to you, correct? That's right. Yes. And all and and for the most part more metastatic or again is it still a range? We we've always been a range, all ages, all stages. Um so we we have information for, you know, anyone diagnosed with breast cancer. And we began doing work specifically for young women back in 1996 and one thing I'm really proud of is that we have been partnering with the Young Survival Coalition for, I think we did the first two conferences independently and have been partnering with them since. And I'm not sure there are very many nonprofits out there that are doing that and, and have stayed really committed to working together and so that we can provide the best information and the best product for the women who need it. Right. Well, I mean, kudos to you guys, too. I mean, 12 years? Is that what it is, 12 years? Right. Twelve big, years. That's almost a bar mitzvah. It is. <laughs> Next year they'll be dancing. <laughs> Next year they'll be dancing with the horror on chairs. We'll exactly. be doing the horror, yes. Right. So, so we should mention as well. So, it's both of you, and then Komen is a mostly a, a major donor to, um, and has been. Have they been for the entire twelve years? They haven't. Um, they have been a lead sponsor. Oh, Stacy, what do you say? Five years? I was going to say four, but I'll go with five. Yeah. <laughs> Prior to that, they were um, they were always supporters at some level, but they came on at a bigger level about four or five years ago. And the funds that they give us um, are specifically allocated towards the travel scholarships. To the travel scholarships, I see, mm-hmm. which is great, which is an amazing thing. To your point earlier of having people come from all over the place who you know might not have the means to get there. Only half the attendees take advantage of the scholarships, it's, right? It's enormous. Right? I think it's a third. It, it just sort of depends on how many come, but it's it's very critical. Um, right, right. Absolutely. A, a great a great thing that Komen has given their money to. So obviously, so in the wake of, of this last week, did they reach out to you? I'm curious, did they get in touch with some other organizations, high profile like yours, with this a big event coming up just to kind of touch base in, in, the, in the wake of what's happened? You know, they haven't, um, although I we will be talking with them tomorrow, but we, we reached out to them. And I think the stance that Living Beyond Breast Cancer and the Young Survival Coalition has been taking is, you know, in the beginning we were just watching to see what would happen. And, um, you know, but we'll be talking to them tomorrow and having a more in-depth conversation. Understood. And, well, I mean, I couldn't notice that Karen Hanel is one of your speakers, and clearly she's the one that's in the bullseye right now in the media. Um, you're free to comment or not comment. I just wanted to point that out because clearly she's she's under the lens of this country right now, and 
Well, I think the way I agree with you, and I, the way I'll answer that question is to say that we are going to do everything we can to make sure the focus of this conference is about giving women the education and the support that they need. Um, so we are hoping that it, the conference won't be distracted by that issue. Right, and and I'm I'm hoping that the entire cancer community that is supporting this event, including us, you know, we're behind it at the end of the day because what it's all about, it's about the attendees and the value right. that they get and what they can take home to have improved lives. You know, we, it's so easy to lose sight of that in the in the flicker of politics, but you know, we we're here to ensure that they get the resource and support that they're entitled to, and you know, I, I don't think anyone would ever disagree with that. Right. Stacey, how about you guys? Has the YSC had any contact with them, or do you plan to? No, I mean, as Dean mentioned, you know, we are collaborative in our approach to Coleman as it relates specifically to uh, C4YW. I think even more so to Matt's point, you know, we both as individual organizations and collaborators um, remain dedicated to to our mission. So we're, you know, certainly focused on making sure that we're delivering the best conference possible because the most important um, group here is the attendees, the young women that have been diagnosed with breast cancer, their caregivers, and their health care providers that are also um, on site and really looking to gain the valuable information. And that for us is the focus. Yeah. Jean, can you sort of speak to, um, outside of that specifically, but obviously, you know, you run your CEO of an organization that is that has done, is doing, and will continue to do a heck of a lot of good. But you're also sort of, you know, running a business, running, <laughs> running something, and you know, you've got to be tugged in a lot of different directions. And the nonprofit world, like the for-profit world, can have all sorts of the same alliances, egos, you know, this for that, money. You know, there's all of those same issues exist. And, you know, people have this idea oftentimes that an organization that's, you know, out there in the world trying to do good and is a nonprofit, you know, is free from that or should be free from that. But the reality is human beings are human beings and business is business at any level. How do you sort of balance all that? Can you sort of speak to that in a sense as as a CEO of an organization like LBBC? Sure. That's a big question. But it is a big I, question, I know. I think I think what I would say is what's always been important to me and for Living Beyond Breast Cancer is that we're not to let the money drive the mission. So, you know, if we get money from someone, we still control the content and control the programming. We're not going to take money from someone who says, you know, you have to talk about this drug or you have to have this person speak. And I think that's the most important thing. But you know, even though we're not for profit, it doesn't mean that there's not competition and it doesn't mean that, you know, all the other issues of business don't come into play. Um, so I think we're always balancing that. And, you know, in this instance, with everything that's going on with Komen, what I keep thinking about is the young woman that's going to come to this conference that maybe was diagnosed a few weeks ago. The last thing on her mind is this you know, politicized issue, you know, she wants to know what yeah. what's my treatment, what's my side effects, you know, am I going to make it? And that's what we're focused on, right, know, is helping people get through this really, really difficult journey. And we just can't get distracted by these, you know, these other things that are going on. 
Right. Do you think that do you think that people's radars will be up more, or is there a vetting process that you guys have from money that you? I mean, obviously you can't. You know, there are organizations um, out there that you know rate charities. I mean, I myself am actually on the board of directors of Charity Navigator. I mean, mm-hmm. there there are other organizations out there like that, but you know, you can't. There's, there's not. You can't implant a bug in any one organization and actually see everything that's going on. Um, are there sort of vetting policies that you guys have from people that you take money from, or do you think that they that those might be heightened, um, you know, in the in the wake of all of this? Well, I mean, we we don't have any strict. I mean, we don't take money from tobacco companies, but other than sure. that, you know, we don't have any strict criteria. Again, it's more about having living beyond breast cancer be able to control the message and the content um so that the donations are strictly unrest- you know unrestricted and 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 don't pull any strings um i do think that this whole situation with Komen as well as other you know there's been lots of other things that have happened with nonprofits um does heighten you know everybody's awareness of what's going on and, and makes people question. And I think it's always good to question. I think it's great you're on the board of Charity Navigator. I think it's important that donors know, you know, where their money's going and what how these organizations are run. Yeah. And, Stacey, you, I mean, in particular, you're, the YSC is young women, and they are, not that older women aren't, but particularly a younger generation, they're so focused on social media. And they're so, I mean, they were – and 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 about changing the world and all of this. I mean, do you sense a sort of heightened among your community at the YSC being a, a group of younger women that their either their cynicism radar is up more or their activism radar is up even more than before? Or what's the kind of general feeling that you're getting? Because since they did, so many of them did sort of drive the whole social media campaign with the uh, with the Komen event. I think it's a great question, and I think, you know, the one thing that we found at Young Survival Coalition is that young women are always paying attention. So, you know, as as things peak and valley, um, we're often not surprised by by the response level, by the level of engagement of our constituency to, to really ask the tough questions. And, and I echo Jean's point that, you know, we encourage them to ask the tough questions, and as as nonprofits and as you know, social profits, we are really dedicated to being aware of our donor dollar, being aware of spending it wisely, and you know, making sure that we are in control of the message and and the mission delivery, and and utilizing the funds that we receive. You know, you have to remember that not only do people give, but you also receive. And so as a recipient of those funds, you know, we do take on a level of accountability to spend it as we say we will and to Jean's point not to um, allow the mission to be altered at all by the funds that we receive or by the donor we receive them from. Right, and that's, I think, you know, as a, as a CEO also, that's a challenge, you know, that, that I, I foresee this organization having to face, you know, at, at some point in the near future as we continue to grow and raise more money and, and do bigger things. Um, that I, I yield to, you know, folks like yourselves who've been through the ringer and kind of have learned stuff that I can clearly benefit from. Uh, the, the idea that you can really never make everyone happy. He's and, asking you to come to the office to teach him. <laughs> Please help me. <laughs> yeah. No, we're going to get drunk in New Orleans and have beignets. And right. Teach, give me all those secrets. 
Um, Jean, but, you we'll know, I think the ticket. social media response to this has been remarkable, and it and it really does show that people are engaged and they're paying attention and they're speaking their mind. I mean, quickly. really quickly and um, and and very in a, in a very organized way. It's it's remarkable. Well, I, I said at the top of the show, I don't know if you guys were, were on uh, the call yet, but I, I saw this on the HuffPo that someone is calling it the Pink Spring, like the, <laughs> like the Arab Spring, but Pink Spring. And it, it, it kind of echoes of that. It's obviously clearly not like regime change and, you know, global <laughs> democratization, whatever. But, you know, if you look at like SOPA, you know, the Internet Privacy Act that was destroyed by social media, it was all up in the, you know, all the corporations were for it, and then everyone's like, uh, hell no, and then like all senators are like, we're not going near this, we're going to get elected again. Yeah, it, there's such a potency to what touches, you know, the you know the the sensitivity touch points in this country. You never really know what people are really feeling. You know, the Zogby polls and the Quinnipiac polls, they're all useless. You know, mm-hmm. it, 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 I, I'm just as a social media wonk. I I look at this just. As, as, as astonishment as to how passionate people really are about certain things if they're given the opportunity to to have to feel they have a voice absolutely and also that they can't be ignored right you know they you know you really can't be ignored if your facebook page gets you know whatever hundreds of posts everybody can see them and um it's 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 incredible i mean i it, it's a research paper. <laughs> if, I yeah. was in, if I was in college, or you know, this is a yeah, this is a doctoral thesis waiting to right. happen. Because it's instant. Because there is, you know, the, to your point, you know, this whole thing took place over a few days. It's instant. It, you don't have to wait for the Queen of Piac poll, uh, for those phone calls, and for you know those those phone calls multiple times just to get one response. This is instant, and so it's just a new day. And I think that that new day. Uh, transcends the the for profit, the non profit. It is the world. Right. So we got about uh, you know two or three minutes left in the interview. Do you guys have any specific comments about the conference and the you know I envy the relationship you guys have had because we we try to everything we do is collaborative. I don't think we've ever done anything in a siloed environment since our inception five years ago. You know we work with clearly we work with YSC and a bunch of things. We work with uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society. We're actually even going to be starting to work with, uh, well, the Lymphoma Research Foundation, Caring Bridge, you know, really long-term institutional organizations. Um, what would you say, you know, in the learning curve of, of, of relationships has been the most uh, beneficial byproduct? I mean, I think the part, the best thing about this partnership is that the organizations can leverage what we're best at. You know, the, the Young Survivor Coalition clearly has the reach to this population and the respect and the trust and Living Beyond Breast Cancer has a really long history of putting on educational programs and and conferences and and certainly, you know, we're both both good at both things, but we're able to really leverage our expertise. And collaboration isn't always easy. You know, it's much easier to do things on your own. You just make your list and you do it. But when you collaborate, you really have to work things through. And I think that you know my staff and Stacy's staff have have really been committed to that, and the benefit is for the participants and the women with breast cancer because I think they get a much better program because of our what we learn from each other. Well, Stacey, there you go. Stacy, you want to add to that? I would only add that you know collaboratively. I, I, collaboratively, I think that we have the capacity to. 
um, you know, to raise more money, to be uh, a better investment to some funders, you know, in really reaching our constituency, and to really put together some really great programs. And I think that there's really that power in in the collaboration and the two organizations coming together. Just always. Uh, excited to be a part and uh, working with Living Beyond Breast Cancer as we have over these years. And we, you know, we like each other. <laughs> <laughs> and we respect each other. And, and I think that to your to your question, Matt, uh, you know, the, the like and the respect is, is extremely important in continuing the relationship. Because the well, other side of it would have been, you know, we could have both done conferences for young women. And right. we never wanted that to happen. But that's we never twice the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, before we wrap, I just wanted to ask you too. To that point, do you think there are too many breast cancer organizations? I mean, there are, you know, there's people in, you know, my local community, and you know, God love them. I mean, if they, they, a lot of people go out and they start their own organization, and you know, maybe they do a few fundraisers and they raise some good money locally. But it's, a, you know, it's there are some terrific ones of of some size like you guys and then there are a lot of sort of splintered groups. I mean, does that does that hurt the cause overall? What are your thoughts on that, Jean? I feel like that's a whole other show. Um <laughs> I mean certainly there's I mean, there's too much cancer, right? So um I think that it you know there there are there are a number of, you know, really, really good organizations and I think for some people they they're affected by the disease and they have passion and the means, and sometimes they'll start a small organization, and it, to me that sometimes isn't the best use of their time if they could collaborate. Um, but I don't know. It's a hard question to answer. I think that there's a lot of people to serve, um, so it, it's hard to say are there too many. Um, I think as long as we're all doing good work, there's probably enough to go around. <laughs> Stacey? Diplomatically I, I would only say that <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if there are too many. I think that we have to be very careful about um, duplicative services serving the same people. If we were reaching and serving everyone, I could yield to too many. But I don't think I think that there's still so many people that uh, don't have access to the support and the information that they need. And I think that's such a good point. I mean, there. Are, there are some people that are very easy to reach, and they're overserved. And then we all know there is a whole other population who are just not getting access to this information and certainly not getting it when it can benefit them the most. Right. And that's certainly part of what Living Beyond Breast Cancer is trying to do, and I know the Young Survival Coalition tries to do that. So I always just say for people, you know, you got to figure out what organization works for you, and we're lucky that there are a lot out there. Um, just well, don't call yourself for the cure. <laughs> we can't do that. No. <laughs> but I'm sure on that note. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a terrific event. It's the C4YW, the Conference for Young Women Affected by Breast Cancer in New Orleans. And if you want to go on February 24th to February 26th. That's right. Go to c4yw.org and you can still register on that website. Correct? Yes. Absolutely. And there's something like how many do you have? Do you have around 600 at this point attending? Uh, we're planning for 800. Nice. Planning for eight. It's a it's it's really a fabulous event, having uh, experienced it firsthand as Kenny has as well, and and you'll get to see the one and only Matthew Zachary this year. 
one yeah. of his workshops already sold out. He'll be ah. really? I, I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fine. Just tease me to death. I walk in shame now. Go He'll on. be the one running overtime. Right. I, thought, I thought maybe you'd been tweeting it like overnight or something. Like no, I didn't start ramping it up. I'm letting them do all my PR for me. So good. <laughs> That's why no one signed up. <laughs> you're, you're allowing you're, you're allowing them to. Yeah, do I it. permit yeah. you people. Yeah. You 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 people. Yeah. Exactly. They're only a CEO and uh, chief programming officer. Wait, no, wait, but they have lots of time to promote your yeah. work. I'm so important. <laughs> No, Stacey's uh, like, yeah. Stacey, you just got a promotion there, right? Aren't you like like Grand Poobah of all things? <laughs> Thanks, Stacey. Matt, I think. Yes, Stacey I Stacey kicks ass, promotion. whatever she does. Wait, what's your new title, Stacey? I'm Chief Program Officer and Deputy Chief Executive. Deputy Chief Executive. Chief that's ass kicker. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that. That's a big title. That's a big <laughs> title. <laughs> yeah. Props Thanks. to Merschdorf. Who's listening? Hey, Jen, how you doing? <laughs> I got to give her props. Absolutely. Yeah. She's All right. Awesome. Well, great to have you both on you the show. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see you guys in a couple of weeks. Thank you for everything. Cool. Travel well. Okay. Thank you. All right. Gene Sachs and Stacey Lewis. The fabulous Gene Sachs and the fabulous Stacey Lewis of Living Beyond Breast Cancer and, and the, the Young, Young Survivor Coalition. Coalition. Good stuff. Yes, we like them. Good show. Welcome back. Welcome back. Good show, says us. But in all seriousness, I did have my neuropsych test in my turns out my occipital lobe, which is where the tumor was and the radiation. What say? Occipital lobe. In it, layman's terms, he's a neurotic Jew from New York. <laughs> scientifically, I'm a mess. My frontal lobe is fine, which is why I, you know I can still pick up things. We'll work on it, know, Matt. My opposable thumb still work. So what is this? The back of your head? The occipital lobe, which okay. is the part of your brain in the back, above the cerebellum, but like below the the the. Uh, my mama, my mama said. Uh, is it the. What are the other lobes? Parietal lobes? Ear lobes. Parietal. Parietal lobes. So right. we should stop smacking you in the back of the head. No, no. Smacking me in the back of the head might help. It's a hard, oh. it's a hard reboot. Oh. It's a hard reboot. Oh, it might like, help? If you Google. If you Google Did you hear that, Kenny? It might help. The occipital lobe uh-huh. functions. I got a beer bottle right here. Oh, yeah. It's basically vis- um, uh, facial recognition and audio learning. Which is why I'm much that's more. That's why you I'm always say, "Who the hell are you?" When I walk into the office, right? right. You need no, a firmware. You need a firmware update. I need. A, I need like someone to like a Core Intel two duo. You need MZ MZ OS six. Exactly. That's where we're at. All right, uh, we've sufficiently run thirteen minutes past the hour. <laughs> we're giving people the money's worth. <laughs> Says it's us. A free show. Says us. <laughs> Their money's worth. All right, we're going to wrap it up, MZ. Closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, Internet. You guys are drinking beer. seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, our 211th broadcast. Wow. Yep. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Special thanks to Kenny Kane, James Manning, and our guests, Cambridge Thomas, Gene Sachs, and Stacey Lewis. All right, everybody, next week it's all about expressing yourself, just like Madonna almost said on the Super Bowl. She didn't sing that one, I don't think. Well, no, that would have been a Lady Gaga mistake. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Next week's show is all about expressing yourself. We've got an author of Nowhere Hair, young adult survivor of breast cancer, Sue Glader. She wrote a great children's book called Nowhere Hair, How to Explain Cancer to Your Kids. We also have a singer-songwriter, and she's a young adult co-survivor 
written a lot and supported a close cousin of hers, Jennifer Adan. She's uh, written some hot, really hot Nashville country songs that you will know and love and have hummed along to. So they'll talk about expressing themselves. And then in our Survivor, Survivor Spotlight is young adult breast cancer survivor Elizabeth Eppelsheimer will join us. Tell us her if story. If you've missed any of our past shows, all 210 of them, download them all for free on iTunes at itunes.stupidcancer.com or check out the archives at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and the whole team here at Stupid Cancer, have a great week. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye.